This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum. The theme was Disciple Maker, and the Relational Discipleship Network hosted a track called Relational Discipleship, and it was about how to create a disciple-making church culture. That's where the episode for today was recorded, and we wanted to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Stay the Course, which is about seven essential practices for disciple-making churches. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash rdn. That's discipleship.org slash rdn. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. This session was recorded in a large room, so thanks for bearing with us as some of the audio was affected by that setup. We want to encourage you to come on in and have a seat. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, My name is Bob Reed. I'm a pastor at a church in Fort Myers, Florida, and a board member for the Relational Discipleship Network. And uh, last session, we were talking about the priority of relationship, the biblical foundation for relationship. And, uh, And so as we continue on, uh, there's a kind of a system to the madness, if you will. There are, there are uh, uh, three by five cards on your table. We, at near the end of this session, we're going to be collecting some of those. So if you have questions about things that Jim has to say or, or any of the guys have to say, we would encourage you to write those down. We'll collect them. We'll do the best we can to try to answer any of those. Uh, and so that'll be available. But I want to invite Jim uh, to come on up here, and he's going to help understand what is intentional leadership look like and how do you define a win and so we want to be able to talk a little bit about that and then we'll discuss a little bit more hi again how many of you in here are new this session oh wow okay uh well let me um just do a little bit of review these sessions are meant to build on each other So I'm going to review just a minute about uh, what we went through last session so that I can add the next tree ring to this process. Um, What what we're doing is talking about uh, becoming a disciple-making church. And one of the things that we said in the last session is um, if you're going to be a disciple-making church, first of all, it starts with you as a leader. As the head goes, the body follows. You can't, uh, we have people that will uh, come to our conferences and the senior pastor will say that they're, they're, uh, they're Bible study leader, they're, they're um, you know, small groups leader, and as if that person can come and learn about this and go back and implement it in their church. And I want you to know as the head goes, the body follows. Uh, if you're not a disciple maker, by the way, did anybody here not get one of these booklets? Raise your hand if you've got this guy somewhere around. Okay. Uh, if you are not a disciple maker, then it's very unlikely that your church will become a disciple making church. Uh, secondly, we, we kind of uh, spoke a little bit about what I, I spoke about in the main, in the main session. You've got to have the right definition of a, of a maturity Christ. Um, we talked about that the entire Bible is a book about relationship. A relationship uh, we were as human beings designed to have with a triune God. God is a relational God. He's never been lonely. He didn't create you because he was lonely. 
He created you because he's a powerful creator. But he created you to be in relationship with him. And relationship requires choice. Uh, God chooses to be in relationship with us, chose to make us to be relational, and he gives us the opportunity to be in relationship with him. In the Garden of Eden, he said, eat of this fruit and you will die. You choose. Let me rule, or you choose to rule yourself. If you choose to rule yourself, you'll get what, what only you can get, death. We chose sin. God had the power to destroy us, but because he is a relational God, the entire Bible is about a reconciling God pursuing relationship with us. He gave us, he, he created us to be in not only relationship with God, relationship with each other. As we broke relationship with God, that led to broken relationship with others. God, our reconciling God, wants to reconcile us to himself, and then he wants us to be reconciled to one another. In the new heaven and the new earth, it'll be perfect relationship restored. And uh, the entire Bible is about relationships. So when we talk about relational discipleship, we're saying that it's in relationship you learn to be relational. It makes sense that you learn to love God and love others in an environment where people are loving God and loving others. All of the law and prophets are summed up in relationship. Love God and love others. The fruit of the Spirit is all relational. The Bible says you can know all mysteries and speak in the tongues of angels. You can be so knowledgeable and so gifted, but if you don't love, you're nothing. And so we talked about a biblical foundation for relationship and a biblical foundation for relational discipleship. So having said that... Um, the way this session is going to work is that uh, I'm going to talk about this for a bit. Then we're going to have a church planter who is a part of our network that's going to talk to you about how do you live this out in a church plant. And then we have a guy who's shifted a church for 100. It's a 100-year-old church. And how do you change a church from a programmatic, attractional model to a disciple-making church? And, and uh, what does it look like to do that? But the subject for this Part is once you've decided you're going to be uh, that the, the relationship is the core message of the Bible, and that discipleship is teaching people to look like Christ, who's the perfect picture of love for God and love for others, and and the Holy Spirit doing His work in you is making you a lover of God and a lover of others. Once you get all of that, then we come to the next part of this process. We are calling this. Uh, part two, how to become an intentional leader. So I'm going to talk about components of intentional leadership. I want you to notice um, the word intentional. I, I, I want you to know that that which is unintentional is very likely unreproducible. When, uh, when um, somebody says I think I was discipled, or I found out much later that I was being discipled, it means that somebody didn't walk through with them what they were actually doing, and how much of what they were actually doing would they even have recognized or even known was happening, and that the person was being intentional, and if, if they didn't know the person was being intentional, then they're probably not going to intentionally take it to the next level with the next person. Make sense? So intentionality is important. Uh, I want you to notice the word, we use the word coaching a lot because 
Here's what we believe about a pastor's role. Ephesians chapter 4 said God gave pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists to prepare God's people for works of service or to equip God's people for works of service. In other words, the role of a pastor is to equip or prepare people to serve God with their gifts and abilities. In fact, as you read through the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about as we bring our gifts together, we, we, we are not only not, no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but we build up the body of Christ. We are all, the, the church is God's team, and we all play a position. And the job of a pastor, his position is not to be the paid player, but to intentionally raise up people to use their gifts. They, Ephesians chapter 2 says you're saved by grace through faith, right? You're God's masterpiece. I love the way the, the NLT says it. You're God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus for good works which God planned for you to do before time began. Well, so in Ephesians 2, he tells you that these people have been saved with gifts and abilities for good works which God planned for them to do. In Ephesians chapter 4, same letter, he says, now the job of a pastor is to help them figure out what those gifts are and how they work in the body of Christ and how they work on the team. Making sense? So our job is not to be the paid player or the, the showman and people come to watch us play. Success is not how many we gather to watch us. It's how many we train up and release into their gifts and abilities. It's a completely different change. In thinking. So again, just because you have a big church doesn't mean you're actually making disciples and it doesn't actually mean you're winning. Does that make sense to you? In fact, some churches that are small are doing a much better job of making disciples than many churches that are big. So some of you have compared yourself to somebody else's seeming success based on huge crowds and all that. But again, if those churches are that seemingly are successful based on worldly trappings, are not actually making disciples who can make disciples, I would say they're losing. It's a losing team. All right? So what does an intentional leader do? Let me give you three components of an intentional leader. First of all, the intentional leader understands the game they're, they're intentionally leading in. I don't know about you, but I've had uh, plenty of experiences with, with my kids in sports where you know, especially in, in city-based sports where they, they don't have enough coaches, so they just ask some parent who's willing to come and do that. How many of you ever noticed that? And now they're a coach, and sometimes they haven't even played the game. They know nothing about the game. Do those teams typically win? All right? A good coach understands the game, which means a couple of different things. They understand their own role in the game. Let me ask you a question. As a wrestling coach, how many weights was I going to wrestle? It's a trick question. How many weights was I going to wrestle as the coach? None. My days of wrestling are long over, and I'm not sure they have a weight class for me anymore. If I'm the coach, success is getting the players to play. Um, so my role is to be a coach. Now that doesn't mean I, I don't play and I haven't played. In order to teach people to play, I have to understand the game. And I have to be able to show them how to play the game. So I'm always going to play. We talked about in the last group that 
I, to this day, lead a small group, branch a small group. I, I make disciples. I can't ask other people to do something that I, I'm not doing. Okay, so I'm both, I'm a player coach. I'm making disciples, and I'm also leading a disciple-making organization. Some people go, okay, my job is to make disciples, but no, you're not, your job isn't, if you're a senior pastor or a pastor of a church, your job isn't just to make disciples. It's to run a system that makes disciples. Right? You're developing a, a system. So it's both and. Some of you say, it's my job to run the system, but I don't actually have to do it myself. Wrong. It's both and. It's you... Make disciples and you help develop a system by which everybody in the church can be discipled if they so choose. I can't make sure everybody in the church is being discipled because I don't have the power to do that. I can only do my part. I can't do God's part and I can't do their part. Jesus was totally willing to to have the rich young ruler be one of his disciples. What happened? His rich young ruler went away sad. He refused. Did Jesus chase him down and go, no, if you don't follow me, I'll be a failure. Right? How many of us get, we feel like we're a failure because somebody else didn't do our part? Then the devil says, oh, you just stink. He discourages us. Jesus didn't go, wow. I, he, he was, Jesus was sad because he loved the young man. But he wasn't sad because he didn't do his job. He was sad because the young man didn't do his. Making sense to you? Yeah. It's important that you recognize that because especially as you start raising up leaders and you start bringing up volunteers... They will oftentimes take God's part, their part, and the other person's part on themselves, and they will get really discouraged. They will fry themselves and their families doing so much for Jesus. They'll forget that their priority is Jesus. Working at being with him is not the same as working for him, and they'll, they'll, they'll put their family aside because they've got to do more because they've got to take, take in everybody's part. Okay? A... Intentional leader understands the game. Secondly, the intentional leader understands where somebody else is in their process in the game. So let me just say it to you this way. I can walk into every, any wrestling room in the United States, and I can lean against the side of a high school wrestling room, and I can go, first-year wrestler. JV, maybe. Varsity. State qualifier, maybe state champion, college wrestler. How can I know that? By watching. What do I know about the sport? I was a college wrestler, a college coach, a high school coach, all those things, right? I know the sport. I know what I'm, I'm looking at. I know what it takes to win. I have an accurate understanding of that. In wrestling, there's three positions. If I was going to coach against a person, I would know there's top, bottom, and neutral. If I was going to coach against that kid, he's super talented on his feet. He's super talented on top. He stinks on bottom. When it's my choice in the the match as a coach, where am I going to put that kid? On bottom. I'm going to put my kid on top. Why? That's his weakness. If I was coaching that kid, I would say, you're super good here. You're good here. Here's where we got to work. Because in order for you to be successful, you have to be good at all three positions in the match. Right? I understand the game, and I'm able to look at a person and go, all right. I know where they're at. We're going to talk about this. By the way, this, this whole uh, assessment piece is not so that I can judge them. Oh, that kid's only a freshman. No, you see every person 
as this is what they could be. God saved them to be this. Right. Here's where they're at. That's amazing that they're there, but if we just did this, this, and this, they could be here. You see, you're not judging them from, from a negative position. You're judging them as a coach. This is all in uh, the book we wrote uh, called um, Real Life Discipleship. And it's in several of the books. So we're going to talk about that in session uh, four, I think. But I want you to understand, an intentional leader understands the game. He can evaluate where his team is at. One more thing. We talk about the four spheres. We talk about your abiding in Christ, your home life, your church life, and your world life. I've got a guy right now who's doing really good in his uh, work life and his church life and his walk with Jesus, but he's struggling in his home life. I know that a mature disciple of Jesus has got to work on that too, right? So what are we addressing? Right? Same, same sort of thing. They understand the game. They understand where a person's at, and they're able, thirdly, to create an environment for that person's growth. They know they're part of the equation that can help that person grow. Remember, I can't make that person grow. I only have one part of it. I can, I can know what, the, I've got a, a couple in one of my life groups. They've been struggling with marriage for years. The guy is so gifted. But he cannot get this thing figured out. I know what it is, what, what he needs. He's not willing to do it. So he calls me at two in the morning because he's mad. I don't answer. Because we've had that conversation ten times. I'll get to you in the morning. I'm not gonna let your tragedy keep me up all night and make my wife mad at me and be grumpy tomorrow. Are you, when I do talk to him, it's like, hey, what are, what are you going to do? We've been here before. You didn't do what I told you to do last time. I want you to do what I told you to do last time. I want you to change. But that's up to you. I can't do it for you. But here's the, well, what, what, what should I do? Well, I want you to get a mentor couple, and I want you to let them speak into your life, and I want you to go to AA, because every time you get mad, you drink. Oh, I'm just so busy for that. Well, then we'll be right here again. You understand what I'm saying? There's an environment that you know what a person did in wrestling. I know this is what we got to do to get you better on bottom. So here's what we're going to do. I have a plan for helping him get better on bottom. Now, he's got to do it. But if he does it, I know that he's going to grow in that capability. So you understand what a coach does. Now, let me add one more thing to this. As a wrestling coach of a very large program, I had too many people to really coach. I mean, it'd be like coaching this. I had this many kids. I can do the, 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 uh, the big group. Let's celebrate. We won this week. I can do the big speech, right? But if I'm going to coach this many players or this many wrestlers, I'm going to have to have about uh, 30 coaches in the room because I'm going to break them into groups who are going to oversee the 103-pounders to the 118-pounders over here who's going to show them the move, work on the move with them. We'll come together for the big group, but there's going to be – I have to create a system by which I have people who understand the three parts of wrestling, top, bottom, and neutral, who understand how to coach – 
They understand the game, the wrestling. They, they can evaluate where their guys are at, and they can create an environment for growth. I gotta have a system by which I've got 30 guys with this many people to break this in because these kids can't, I just can't talk at them. I have to have somebody who's hands on with them and understands coaching. So what happens in a group of this size if I have 30 people who understand the game, understand where a person's at and can help them create that environment? What would happen if I had that many people who knew what I knew who could oversee this group? What would happen with my wrestling team? And then, that's not just the high school, I actually have another 25 for the junior high programs, and I have another 20 for the little school programs. So the little school programs are feeding the junior high programs who are teaching them more, who are teaching the high school programs. Now the high school kids graduate from high school, they become my assistant coaches in the little kids program. Pretty soon, I have a machine that mows over the top of every other program in the state. There's something biblical about that. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's all biblical. I'm creating, this is the big question that I had years ago. When I went, okay, they didn't tell me, I went to Bible college. They didn't teach me how to make disciples. So I went, all right, where am I a disciple? What am I a disciple of? I'm a wrestling disciple. How did they make me a wrestling disciple? I started thinking through that and I went, wait a minute, that's the way the church is supposed to be. You want to know why most Christians can't wrestle? By the way, wrestling is the only biblical sport. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Oh yeah, we're on the race. I just know basketball's not there. Okay, now I want you to think about this. You want to know why we don't have wrestlers who can wrestle for their families in their workplaces? What if I use the church's methodology for my wrestling team? Let's just let's say we switched it. Once a month, once a week, I'm going to actually get a person up here. I'm going to hit a single leg over and over and over again. Single leg, single leg. I'm going to show you three setups. Single leg, single leg. This is what it looks like. All right. Go away. Come back next week. And I'm going to show you a double leg. Double leg, double leg, double leg. If you want to, on your own, practice it on a mirror or get your little brother and sister. At best... I would have a bunch of people who couldn't, they, 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 they would go, hey, what am I doing right now? I could go, what am I doing? Single leg, you're doing a single leg. Show me how you do one. Very few people would, I mean, you know how many times I've been with kids where I showed them a move and I said, do what I just did and it looks nothing like, but they think it does. It looks nothing like what I just did. I can't do it. So I have to do it over and over and over again. What if I use the church's methodology for wrestling? What, what I would have at best, at best, knowledgeable fans who went, I know what that move is. I could never do it, especially on a moving target.
Is this making sense to you? But what if I had, I invested in 20 or 30 people that helped them understand the game, where people are at, how to create an environment. I showed them how to wrestle. Then I started teaching them, letting them learn how to wrestle. What if I, pretty soon I'd have 30. Then what would happen with 30? 30, how would they coach those other people? What would happen? Then those 30, they would have how many? And then those many, and then what would happen? It almost sounds like the early church. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, let me let me just. Uh, this is Luke Yetter. This is he is our leader of the Relational Discipleship Network. He got saved in our church. Him and his wife. Uh, he was a complete pagan. Wow. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Notorious in our area. Got saved in our church. He's going to tell you his story. Uh, and then he be- went to a home group. He'll tell you this. Became a home group leader. Started volunteering as a leader in the church. Came on staff. Now he, re- he runs the Relational Discipleship Network nationwide. So this is the perfect example of what can happen. You have these people in your church. But most of them just sit there. They're never invited to be involved. They're never coached. They just sit there. Thanks, Jim. Before I tell my story, speaking of stories, I saw a gentleman here, Jim, that I have a, that remind, we, I have a story about you that I want to share. And uh, uh, Kenny, where's Kenny at? Kenny. I, okay, so I'd forgotten about this story until I just saw Kenny about 10 minutes ago. Okay, we were in South Carolina. And uh, we were backstage and we are getting ready to go out and speak. And, and there was a lot of people. And uh, uh, Kenny... And their church has walked through uh, Disciple Shift, and they've shifted their church. You guys are doing amazing, and it was really cool. We got invited to go speak at this conference, and it just kept growing more, and people kept showing, and it it was, anyway, so we're all going to do it in small group, okay? We can only do 100, okay? So we bring in facilitators to do 100. It just keeps growing. At 1,000, we're like, I mean, we just punted, right? So we're behind stage. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And so I tell Jim about uh, your church, and I'm saying the name. Well, Jim misinterprets the name of the church. And he's like, no way. That's the name of the church. And well, I don't correct him because we're in a hurry. And out on stage, Jim goes. And, and so Jim starts sharing Kenny's story of how this church has, has shifted. And he keeps saying the name. And do you guys want to know what this name is? The name of this church? Buck Creek. You can un- okay. Jim, when Jim was pronouncing it, you could see, and I didn't correct him, I was laughing so hard because I couldn't breathe, I'm sitting, and he's, I can't believe they name it, well this gal in the crowd stands up and says, it is not but Creek. <laughs> and Jim looks at me, I didn't set him up, I did not, Kenny, we did not set him up, we just didn't correct him behind stage, and I didn't know he was going to share it. To a thousand people. Okay, so <laughs> it's Buck Buck Creek is the is the and then the community. What is it? Buck Creek. Uh, what's the other part? Uh, Buck Creek just community church or is it? What is it? Yeah, Baptist church. Yep. And so, anyway, thanks, Kenny. That just brought joy to my heart to tell that story. Okay, so before I share my story, uh, one of the reasons uh, as I'm sharing my story, think about two things. One, would you hire me? 
Okay, would you hire me? Maybe before that, if I, if I darkened the door of your church, would I come to know the Lord? I know it's just a hypothetical question, but I just want you to wrestle with it, okay? So as I share my story, would I come to know the Lord at your church? And would you ever be crazy enough to put me on staff? Okay, so those two questions. Um, what, what I think is fitting about this is it's going to tie our first session was real relationship. What does it look like when we talk about biblical foundation for relationship? So my story has that piece in it, and it also has intentionality. What does it look like when an intentional leader like Jim walks through a church process and builds out different parts of a church to be intentional for the lost, for somebody like me who doesn't know the Lord? So I'm going to share my story. Hopefully it'll tie some pieces together. Okay? So far so good? All right. Okay. So I don't know the Lord, and I've never been to church. I'm in my mid-30s, okay? So I am the target we're hunting when we say unchurched, okay? So I have not been to church, so I don't really understand any language. The only reason I'm going to, uh, to find a church is I sold my business. Financially, I did pretty good. I get married. My marriage is not working, okay? And I'm trying everything I can. I'm hiring counselors, and one after another, it's not working, and I refuse to lose, right? I'm not going to give up. My mom's been married and divorced five times, my dad three, my grandmother seven. I'm just not going to go down that road, okay? Well, I can't solve it with throwing money at it with counsel after counselor. So somebody says, we do one couple, they said, you should put God right in the middle of your marriage. I was like, ugh. <laughs> like, I had no idea what that meant, okay? Like, I'd never been to a church. And so I tell my wife, let's, let's go find a building. I just, that's where God's at. It's in the building. So that's what I thought. So <laughs> that's the unchurch. So uh, we, we go to the first church. I'm going to explain what this was like, okay? Because as Christians, you've been a Christian for a long time. You've been in the church. Maybe you grew up in the whole time in the church. That's great. Um, but I'm going to share what it's like for the unchurch. That's what it was like for me, okay? So we walk in, and it did smell like dead old people. <laughs> It did. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was like, wow. Okay. It was very quiet. It was very staunch. And, you know, I didn't know where to go. I just picked a building. We went, right? I got the phone book, and I went down, and I liked the name of it, and we went. Okay? So we walk in, and that's that smell. And then you got those hard pews. I'd only seen those on TV. And they have to sing. You sing. Like, I was like, oh. And then you got to stand up, and you clap. And I don't know the songs. It's really awkward. And I feel like I'm taking somebody's spot. That make you kind of like everybody's looking at like who's the new guy, right? My wife, she's she's clapping, she's clapping the music. She doesn't know the song. I'm not gonna fall to the pressure. I didn't say that, but I'm not falling to the pressure. I'm not clapping. So I'm standing there. It's kind of awkward. Pastor gets up, he starts preaching. I have no idea what he's saying. I mean, I'm just listening, and there's a Bible in front of me, so I pull it out, and I'm trying to find what he's saying. He's saying Matthew chapter, I'm going through. Right when I find Matthew, he's on to the next, and I, I can't follow. It's so frustrating, right? And he's saying big words, okay? Here's the big word, flesh. Your flesh is doing this, your flesh is doing that. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> what? My flesh is still on my skin. I don't get it, you know? So anyway, so he's done preaching. I haven't understood almost nothing of what he said. Okay, now the band gets up and starts singing again. I'm like, oh, we got to stand up and you got to clap. Okay, now if you're in worship, you're a worship arts person, I'm not trying to offend you. I love worship now, okay? okay? I'm not trying to offend you, okay? 
But I'm just saying, for the lost or for the unsaved, I don't know the music. I don't know the songs. It's awkward. Okay? So singing's done, and I just follow everybody out. So we just walk out, out into the parking lot. We're standing up by the car, and the, the only reason my wife and I are there is because of the pain in our marriage. You understand? That's the only reason I'm trying to fix my marriage. Okay, now God's drawn me, but I don't understand that. I don't get that. So I turn to my wife and I say, if this is God, what we just experienced here in that hour and 14 minutes, uh, our, our marriage stands no chance. Because I can do the math, right? I built a company. I was a CEO of a national company. We had a variety of locations across the country when I sold it. I understand how to build processes and systems. I, I know how to figure out a customer, how a customer buys. I know how to reverse engineer and build a system to hit the target. You understand? So I just did the church experience, and I'm like, it makes no sense. So it's not going to fix our marriage. I just did that. How will sitting in there fix our marriage? Didn't make any sense. You follow me? Okay. We go try building number two. Building number two, same experience. Okay, so I'm done with the whole, the whole God thing. I've done God. It's not going to work. One of my staff people said, oh, you got to go check out real life. It's a different, it's different. I'm like, no, I've been down, I've, I've done it. I've done it, right? No, no, and she's in sales, and she closed me, and I went. <laughs> it was a good hire. She was an amazing hire. That, that was worth all the money right there, man. Okay, so my wife, we go to real life. At the time, there's about 250, 300 people, okay? And I'm going to describe what it was like and maybe some differences, okay? So we pulled up the parking lot. We walk in. We walk in. It did not smell like dead old people, okay? It did not. It smelled like coffee, and uh, people shook my hand. They were friendly. It was a little different than the other two. Similar to this, like normal. Like there were people with short sleeves. There's people standing outside smoking cigarettes as I walk by. Okay, I was like, whoa. So I walk in and there's kids running around. And there was the buzz of talking and relationship. I actually thought maybe we were in the wrong spot. Like, I was like, I mean, really? Did I, did I just pick the wrong building? I thought I was going to church because the other two experiences are exactly the opposite of what I'm experiencing. Okay? I walk in, they hand me a bulletin. I thought that was pretty cool. So I could kind of see what the church was about. And I'm kind of reading that some scriptures on there. I was like, oh, interesting. We walk in and there's people like laughing. We go in, there's chairs, there's not the pews. And so the song starts. I'm like, oh, here we go again. That part was awkward again. Clap, 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 sing, you know, stand up, you sit down, you know. And they do the communion thing. I've never seen that except for on TV. <laughs> then uh, J Jim gets up and he said some things that were completely different. He goes, hey, he goes, I want to talk to you about the purpose of the church. I thought that would be good, because at this point, I'm pretty confused. <laughs> no clue what the purpose is. I just want my marriage fixed. What was interesting was, he goes, the purpose of the church is to make disciples of Jesus. And he goes, now, if you don't know the Lord, your first thing is you need to know the Lord. And he goes, now, let's say there's 300 of you in here, and you all don't know the Lord. Do you think it's my job to lead 300 people to the Lord? And they just passed a bucket with the money. So I thought, well, yeah, we just paid you. <laughs> That's what I did think. I didn't put any money in, so I didn't pay him. And it's my money. It's my money, right? So I'm thinking, yes. Jim says, I don't know Jim at the time. He goes, no, it's not my job. How could I do it? There's 300 people in here. He goes, maybe it's the person that invited you. Maybe that's their role to lead you to the Lord. He goes, what? he goes, if you're not in a group, he goes, that's where we see discipleship happen is in our small group. So if, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Maybe that's where you can come to know the Lord. Maybe that's where relationship can start to happen for you. So what I heard is get in a group. 
as we were leaving, there was, they had these uh, intentional pieces I didn't know at the time. People at the front door were intentional. Just the coffee was intentional. The whole lobby space being relational was intentional. And then people, as I was leaving, were standing there. They called them lobby sharks. Pretty sure. And they're like looking. And I had the deer in the headlights, so they knew I was pretty new. I was like. <laughs> and so he's like, hey, are, are you new? I'm like, yeah, first time, right? And they go, are you in a home group? And I'm like, no, I'm not in a home group. I said, would you like to be in one? I'm thinking, man, I'll try anything at this point. I said, yeah, I mean, what, what's it about? Is it a deep Bible study? You don't want to do a Bible study. Oh, no, no, it's not. No, it's fun. It's relational, all that. And so I said, okay, when is it? It's Wednesday this time. And I was like, okay, i got a few days. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, give me your address. So he gives me his address. So my wife comes up, and he goes, oh, what's that? And I said, oh, I look like we can go to a home group, I guess, if we want to. And she goes, well, you don't even have a Bible. I never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> All the places I've been, they don't have Bibles. <laughs> I'm just saying. Right? I didn't know where you get one. So I go to a staff person, a little tag on. I go, hey, uh, this is kind of an odd question. I don't know where, where you get a Bible. He looks at me and he goes, hang on, I'm going to get you one. And so he comes back down. The Bible's like this thick. <laughs> He's walking up, and I'm like, oh, you must think I'm a smart person. Right? He's like, he gives it to me, and I'm looking at it. And he wouldn't hand it to me. He kept saying, you know, I don't want to offend you, and I just want to give you this Bible. But hey, I'm like, just give me the Bible, right? He gives it to me, and it's all in color. I'm like, this is awesome. Well, I didn't realize it's a children's Bible. <laughs> so <laughs> I got my children's Bible, right? I'm fully equipped. <laughs> and so, I, I just read through this. I got, what, two, three days to catch up with everybody. I'm determined, right? So, I'm going through it. Our group's on Wednesday. We pull up. My wife goes, you better not bring that in. I'm like, what? So, I leave it in the car. We go into home group, right? There's 18 people in this group. They're packed into the living room. Now, the leader had called me ahead of time to make sure I was going to go. I said, yeah, I got to add I went. So we're there in this group, and it's, I feel awkward because there's 18 people, and I'm the new couple, right? I'm only there. I just want to work on my marriage and fix it. And so, but God's drawing me. I, I get that now, but I didn't then. They're telling the story of the three guys that get thrown in the fire. I've never heard this story, you know, and they're saying the name so fast, my wife and I have no clue what they're saying, okay? Now, I grew up way up in the mountains with no running water, no electricity, and I lived in shacks and stuff like that. That comes into play because what I was hearing was something different. And so I was, I turned to my wife and I go, are they saying what I think they're saying? She goes, well, you should ask. So I raised my hand, right? I'm the new guy who's going to reveal all of his theological knowledge with this question, okay? And I say, Tim, are you guys saying what I think you're saying about these three names? And Tim goes, well, what do you think we're saying, Luke? And I go, are you saying my shack, your shack, and to bed we go? Yeah, and that's what they did. That right there is what the whole group did. Yeah. That was my first home group experience right there. Right there. Yep. Now, Tim knew. I didn't know. I never owned a Bible. Right? He, so he did an amazing job. So here's what was cool about this. Because Tim noticed I didn't know the Lord, okay? My wife actually came to know the Lord through a church service about a couple weeks later. For me, it didn't work that way. Tim recognized I didn't know the Lord. He pursued me, okay? Here's what he did, okay? He invited me over to his house, okay, before we do for home group. So I would get there. I'd get a free meal. I was in for a free meal. Tell him 100% about me, right? So he says, free meal? Hmm, maybe, right? 
He also met with me outside of the group time for coffee. He shared, started to share his life with me. Sh- share, Shari started to invest, his wife started investing in my wife. So we started to do things as a couple, okay? The only thing that I was interested in was his marriage looked a lot different than my marriage. You follow me? Something there was very attractive. He was being real, genuine, and honest. So in the last session, when we talked about real relationship, Tim was modeling that. Okay, Tim is not on staff in real life. He's got a full-time job. He's an engine, He's an electrician, full-time electrician. He's just a volunteer. But somebody at real life invested in him and discipled him. Do you understand? And now he's investing in his group, and he's specifically given me some additional time because I don't know the Lord. So here's what's cool. Tim led me to the Lord, and here's what's neat. I would say this. When you go 34 years without knowing the Lord, and you don't have the Holy Spirit, and then you get the Holy Spirit, holy Toledo! I'm just telling you, it's a game changer. We have the best role. We have the best role. And we have exactly what the world needs. Okay? And so Tim presented it in a real, authentic, attractive way. And I wanted that. Okay? It made no sense when he said the Holy Spirit's going to come and live in you. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've never heard any of this. Right? But I trusted him because we built a relationship. Okay? Now, here's what's cool. I didn't realize how powerful the Holy Spirit was. It started working on my wife. God started working on me from the inside out. Our marriage started to transform, okay? I became a raving fan of, of, of being a disciple of Jesus. To such an extent, about eight months in, nine months in, our group is so big, we now need to lead a group. I would not recommend having a new Christian like me step out and lead a group. I actually did that about nine months in. And now, at the time, I got rid of my children's Bible. I had a real Bible. Okay? <laughs> I started leading a group with my wife in our house. I was hoping nobody would show like, when we branched our group, we had, like, two other, three other people come with us. I was like, okay, I could maybe, maybe work with them a little bit, you know. A whole, we had a whole bunch of people show up. And so I realized, like, for me, what Tim did with me, I could do with other people. Tim helped me break down Jim's message. I had all kinds of mess, all kinds of questions when Jim would preach. I wasn't going to go up to some stranger and go, hey, I got a question. I would ask Tim, okay? And if Tim didn't know, he would call somebody on staff. Okay, and he said, man, I don't know, I'll find out. So what was cool was I got to see him go, I don't know, I'll find out. So that, that's what I did a lot of in my group, right? I leave the group, but I don't know, we're going to find out. So here's what's cool. Here's what Tim did with me outside a group that made it very relational. We camped together, we fished together, we did softball together, we did basketball together. And basketball is a really good sport. Okay. So here's what's cool. In my group, I started doing the same thing. I did paintball with some of the guys in the group. We did fishing together. We went from strangers, if you were in my home group and you just showed up, we would be strangers for a short period of time. But I'm gonna find a common interest and we're gonna start hanging out. We're gonna go from strangers to acquaintances to semi-friends to friends. Now that whole process is extremely painful because now we're in the relationship game. You understand what I'm saying? I'm gonna offend you, you're gonna offend me. And God is calling us to be a relationship specialist. Are you following me on that? With him, with God first, and with his people. But I don't think we grab a hold of that, that we're supposed to be a relationship specialist. And I don't think we get really good at relationship. So we get hurt, and we quit, and we just keep people at a distance. So when you hear relational discipleship, that's putting relationship in the forefront. 
Are you with me on that one? With God, if I'm only a three on a scale from one to ten this way, I just don't do relationship very well out of ten. I'm a three. I'm probably just a three this way. Are you following me? It's hard to say I'm a ten here, but I'm a one here. It doesn't work that way. And so I think that for me, I feel really fortunate that Jim gave me a place to play. As a home group leader, I started to lead group. We started branching. Jim started recruiting me. And he created a spot. He invited me on to, not staff. He just said, I want to invite you into a meeting. I just want to hear your thoughts on stuff. I didn't know he was being all intentional at this time. Being all sneaky as he was. And so I showed up, gave my thoughts on this meeting. He called me. What do you think about that? I want to, want to invite you back again. I came back again. He's just kind of trying to navigate and see where I'm at with the Lord. He's doing what he's saying here, trying to figure out where I'm at spiritually. Am I in it for the kingdom? Am I in it for myself? Where am I at spiritually? Then he asked me if I start investing in some people on staff, just hanging out with them. So I did that for a little bit, and he slowly kind of gave me different places to play. Next thing you know, I end up on our executive team, okay, which you can imagine me, I don't have a Bible degree. So would I make the cut at your staff? I don't have a Bible degree, but I'm an executive pastor. And so I would just say this. Um, I'm hoping that through these last two sessions, you're grabbing a hold of, we have an amazing God, and we're called to create places for people to play. And we're called to value relationship and lead people to the Lord and disciple them. Don't leave them at the altar or at the baptismal. Tim didn't do that. He didn't baptize me and send me to a class. He walked beside me and answered all kinds of stuff. And so I stand here today because of what God's done in my life. And so it's just an honor to get to share this story with you guys. So thank you for listening. All right, Bob, Randy, you guys want to come up? We're going to roll the Q&A. Jim, do you want to say anything before we uh, go to Q&A? You guys on your table, you have cards. Fill out some questions. We'll do what we did last session. Um, just a couple of things. You don't get good at the game by sitting on the bench. Right? But you also don't get good at the game by being thrown into the game without any coaching. Yeah. It's both and, isn't it? Yeah. Secondly, one of the things, I, I've said this to you a little bit in the last session, but we have people that will come to our conferences, and they'll, they're pastors from all around the country and all around the world, and they'll say, well, our church can't grow because we don't have the kind of leaders you are. Well, you have. Well, I don't tell them where I got our leaders from. <laughs> And so what I love to do is I love to introduce them, right? Brandon Ginnon became, he was a, he worked in a medical office. He doesn't have a Bible college degree. And he was 24. And he led a group and he branched a group and he led a group and he branched a group. And I said, Brandon, I want you to be, we were running a couple hundred at the time and we had 12 groups. And I said, I want you to be our first group leader, maybe 10 groups. He goes, I, I. You want me to do what? I said, yeah, I want you to leave your job. I want you to come and be a groups leader. Brandon took us to over 600 groups. And, and we did it together. And he, and so when people come, we don't have leaders like that. Brandon was sitting in the chair at 24 years old. Right? Luke, on the executive team, he's a these guys are practitioners. They're not just theorists about discipleship. Um, I love saying Greg Turbin, who's one of our C CPs, one of our team leads. He was a soft filer at the mill. Keith Strasberger. Uh, he was a 
he was a, uh, he worked at a school, recruiting for a public school or secular school. You, you go down the line, you know, uh, Jason back there, secular job. These are guys that got saved or got involved. They grew. We gave them education as they went along. We walked with them. And, and I love to say that because here's the deal. Most people want already developed diamonds rather than diamonds in the rough. And they want to go hire from a Bible college or somewhere that somebody else developed because they're so busy running the show and spinning the plates, they don't have the time to actually disciple people. So they're in their pews or chairs are people that can change the world, but the pastor's so busy playing, he doesn't have time to coach. Does this make sense to you? There are people sitting in your chairs who can change the world, and God brought them to your church for you to get them in the game. It takes some work, goes a little slower at first, but it accelerates really quickly. And then they don't, when somebody offers them a job somewhere else for more pay, they go, I don't even understand that. This is my family. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why would I? This is where I came to know Christ. This is where I, these are my friends. These are, it's not this, you know, stepping stone to some bigger job. And when you do send them out, we sent eight of these guys now to plant churches that came from our church. It's hard for them to go, but they're gifted and I know they can do it. Why do I know they can do it? Not because it says so on a resume, but because I've seen him do it. Yeah. All right, so on your table, you have those three by five cards. We're going to set a timer and do a minute per uh, question. And I'm going to start with some that we didn't get to last session because they do apply to this session, so I kind of kept them. And so <coughs> feel free to write out some questions. If you do, raise your hand. And Jason, raise your hand back there. Jason will grab the cards from you and we'll move them up front. All right, so here's a, oh, he also, uh, here's an announcement. Uh, there's eight food trucks outside door C for dinner. We want everyone to enjoy. Okay, so when we're done with this session, there's some food trucks outside. All right. Don't go yet. Yeah, don't go yet. It's not yet, yeah. Okay, first question. Um, how do you get an established church goer to build relationship with new people and people outside their comfort group? <laughs> That's real simple. That's yeah. Yeah, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we talk a lot about what's, what's your part, what's God's part, and what's their part. And, you know, you, you keep challenging, you keep calling people up, you keep really trying to inspire them. Uh, the work of the Holy Spirit has got to do his job, which his, he will always do his part. Whether people choose to be obedient or not is theirs. But I think, you know, when we were shifting our church, we lost quite a few people because they didn't want to make the shift to becoming a disciple maker. They really felt like uh, church was for them, and they had kind of done their time, and, and so in that, you lose folks, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, you, you got to decide, you know, when Jim talked about the first session, you know, it, it's going to cost you. You know, if Jesus laid down his life uh, to be a disciple maker, what do you think it's going to cost you? It's going to cost you your life. And, and so, again, a big part of that is the Holy Spirit doing a work in people. But here's something that freed me up. I'll say this real quick, and I'll pass it on. Um, this whole my part, your part, God's part totally impacted me in my raising of my kids and my marriage. Uh, but what it did, I found myself constantly frustrated with where people weren't. And so I was constantly annoyed or irritated or frustrated. Um, but that freed me up to love people where they were. 
and to keep calling them up, and that's between them and God if they want to choose to grow or not. But my job is to love them, serve them, care for them, but keep calling them up. So that helped me out. See if it, maybe they fixed the button. Is it better? Can you hear? No? Oh, minor detail. Can you hear me now? Nope. Yeah. 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 Is it still kind of muffled and all that? Is it better? Okay. Nice. Okay. Um, so let me introduce, uh, in case people that are new, this is Bob Reed out of Riverside uh, Church out in Fort Myers, Florida. He's a senior pastor who had to, uh, he, he shifted to about a 100-year-old church become a disciple-making church. That's why I invited him here, here at Existing Church. You're like, how does this happen? Is this doable? It's one of the things that Bob did. So that's why I have Bob here. Brandon Gindon just planted a church a year ago down in, right outside of Houston, Texas. So what does it look like from a church planter's perspective to roll out relational discipleship, be intentional, real relationships? That's why we have him here. So just different perspectives to help you process different things. All right, second, second question. Um, how would you go about taking a group that used to make disciples 20 years ago, but doesn't want to uh, to feel doesn't doesn't want to or feel like discipling doesn't work anymore. No, no I, you don't want to know what I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's um, similar back to what Bob was just saying. Um, it has to be modeled and led from the top down as we've worked with churches that have made the transition and, and looking for those that are in the group or part of those groups that God is changing and moving and helping them see um, to live that out and model it and also understanding that within the church there may be people, there will be people that are just resistant and don't want to change. Um, that is not an excuse to not continue to do what you know you need to do. And so in some of those groups that have become very stagnant, very stuck in their ways, don't want to change. We've, I, I've, I was working with a church not too long ago. They had a, they had a, a group, same group of people who have been meeting together for 34 years. Um, there was about 20 of them in the, within the church. Um, you know, I told the senior pastor, don't go blow that thing up. I mean, that's, don't do that. That's poor leadership. But being able to build within the church that movement of discipleship, you're leading it and modeling and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in them to maybe change, help them change or move or shift within the church. Be wise about it. Um, so that's. I think I know. Here's what happens. There's a tension when you make <clears throat> disciples in a group. There's a tension of this is spiritual family. We're, we're a family, Right. We're trying to teach people that we don't just do relationship so that we get you, spit you through a process. We're doing life together. But on the other side, but if you're not careful, people on that side will become a clique and a spiritual closed family. And they're not about mission. That's one side of the road. On the other side of the road is um, we're going to just keep spitting out new group leaders, group leaders, group leaders, right? And then there's no family, but you're about mission. And there's a tension between mission on one side and family on the other. Usually when um, people don't want to be about discipleship is if it's been defined as a task and a mission without the relationship and you've broken the relationship like Velcro. You pull it apart too many times, it doesn't stick anymore. And so it's just a mission, and it's, a, it's, a, and it's just a status you get if you've branched groups, and it's, a, and it's all about a task. There's not the benefit of it. You don't get the benefit of family that goes with that. 
usually people that have said, I did the discipleship thing and I don't want to do it anymore because it doesn't work, means that they didn't really define discipleship very well and they didn't experience the benefit of it. In my life, I will never do anything else other than that, not only because uh, it's a command of Scripture to make disciples and Jesus is my Lord, but to me, this is the most amazing process because I get to see people change and I get to have a relationship with people and I love it. Do you see what I'm saying? So usually when somebody says they tried something that's biblical, but it didn't work, or they didn't really try it the right way, or they redefined it in a way that it was, you know, it was all obedience and no, and there's no, something's not right. Because when you do things Jesus' way, there is a life breath in it. You see what I'm saying? So sometimes when we give people a taste of something that isn't quite the right thing, it's really an inoculation against them getting the real thing. And so we have to look back at it and go, why didn't they experience the benefit of it? What went wrong with that? And maybe we were wrong in the way we defined it. Make sense to you? I'm not saying that it's always positive. It's not. But Brandon and I, conflict is a part of relationship. You don't deal with conflict. Pretty soon the relationship is poisonous. Luke and I, Bob and I haven't had a big blowout, a disagreement yet. But that just means, you know, it's inevitable. Uh, but, but I see conflict not just as, oh, no, because it never works out. I've gotten to be in conflict with these guys and see the other side of it and realize that you really don't know who your friends are until there's a conflict. And I see conflict as a means to positivity, to growth, rather than just, oh, no, it didn't work out. No. If it's done right, even though it's painful and there are seasons where it's hard, you get to experience the other side of it. And there's life in it. It's good. Are there boundaries that you guys have when relationally discipling people of the opposite gender? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't disciple women. Uh, I think women should be discipling women. Uh, I've invested heavily into my wife, uh, and so I've invested heavily into my daughter. Uh, but I, we have a firm conviction that the healthiest thing, and so our staff is not to be alone with another woman. You know, if they're a man, it's the same for women with men. Uh, so we just think that that's the best way. So we put up those parameters to, to make sure they stay healthy. Couples. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can disciple as couples, right? So husband-wife team and husband-wife team. Secondly, it depends on how you define it. Obviously, you preach to both men and women, and that plays a part of discipleship. You can teach a class. But I'm talking about, when we're talking about discipleship, relational discipleship, uh, the Bible says very clearly the older women ought to teach the younger women. You know how many well-intentioned people got themselves into issues? A part of discipleship happens with men and men because there's some things that we have to talk about as men that it's not appropriate for you women to be involved in. And vice versa. And I don't need to be talking. In fact, I tell my guys, do not start sharing being authentic with another woman about your marriage struggles, struggles and don't let her do that with you. This is, do you know how many times this pursuit of gender equality has led to inappropriate contact and knowledge of it that has led to a horrible place? 
So we have windows. I will meet with a woman one time. With the, We have windows on every office. I just went to your new building. He has windows on every office. And I'm like, man, I'm really proud of you for having windows on every office. They're too small. They're all going out bigger windows. You get to meet one time, and then we take you to the next, to women pastoring women, men pastoring men in, in relationship. It's biblical, and it's safe. Anything's biblical is good for you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Um, how do you identify who to disciple if everyone in your group or at your church feels like a peer? Feels like they're a peer? That's good. Good question. So I'll repeat again. How do you identify who to disciple if everyone in your group or everyone in your church feels like they're a peer with you? Um, you're right in that there's this balance of discipleship means that there's somebody who's teaching the other person. There's some spiritual authority that's involved in that, right? And so if everybody's on, and everybody is on equal part value-wise, but... There is spiritual authority, and part of discipleship is to teach people their spiritual authority. And, and by the way, uh, the scripture says, you know, we submit therefore one to another. I have guys on my staff that have been married 60 years. If I'm going to talk, they're more mature in marriage than I am. Just because I have the gift of leadership and I'm leading this in position doesn't mean that I should be discipling them and I'm the expert. My job is to facilitate the fact that, that, that Chuck Wigdon has experience in marriage and my job is to say in this area, I submit myself to your counsel on this area. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So spiritual leadership doesn't mean that I'm the most mature person on my staff. There's guys that, that have been at it much longer. Uh, just because I'm older than Brandon and I've been his boss and leader doesn't mean that in every aspect of my life he can't speak into me on something that he knows better than I do or when I'm slipping up a little bit. This mutual humility, if people won't humble themselves before each other, then they're not mature. All right. What, this is the last question, uh, what are the two or three most important first steps in discipling for a pastor who has been functioning as a CEO? Hmm. Great question. First step, and it's not um, to, I guess, make light of it or whatever, the first part is you have to be a disciple first. And uh, you know, Bob had mentioned in the last, I think it was the last session about that it cannot become a profession, that your walk with, with the Lord is professional. It's a business transaction. And the first step before we can disciple anybody is that we're being a disciple ourselves and that we're abiding in Christ and spending time with him and we're, our walk with Jesus is good, um, is, is I think is the starting place. The second thing is looking through and asking one the Lord to those people that God's put in your life that you need to sit down and have a conversation with um, and, and, and open the door to that or where God would use you to invest in that person's life. Now, maybe some of you have a different story, but with this, I have never in, in my years of ministry when discipling someone, when I've went to somebody and said, hey, the Lord's put you on my heart to just invest in you. Would you be open to that, to spend some time together Talk through the scriptures. I've never had a person ever turn me down. 
to say, no, I don't want to do that. Now, it may not have worked out because of schedules or any of those things, but to not to turn it down. So I would encourage one, are you walking with the Lord? Are you being a disciple? And two, are you looking for what God's working in the lives of people to go invest in them? Those are kind of two steps, I would say. Yeah, I think the first one, again, not just because it's part of my story, but I, I think uh, there's a recognition, again, going back to the isolation. So I think the first step is recognizing that, repenting of it. So you turn away from uh, wanting to be, uh, you know, the idea of a CEO. Uh, I think the second thing is I would also encourage you uh, to be highly intentional. Is what this whole session specifically is about is that look at your staff, look at your elders, look at the people that are closest around you and figure out who you're going to pour in and invest into um, and making sure that you're not, making sure that you are definitely doing this at home. I think it's an absolute, uh, I, I did not want my kids or my wife resenting God or the church because their, their husband or their father gave more time to everybody else than they did them. And so... You know, I think for you, it's really making sure, whether you're a man or woman, making sure that you invest and disciple your family. And, and then I think just living it out and, call, and, and really holding the line that this is not, this is a non-negotiable. You know, when we started making the shift, one of the things I communicated to our staff and our elders, specifically even our elders, is saying, you will no longer be an elder at our church if you are not going to be a disciple maker. So we have the biblical requirements uh, for being an elder. Then on top of that, I want you in a small group, preferably leading a small group uh, or coaching a small group, but you have to be discipling other people or you don't get a seat at the table to make decisions for us to be in a disciple-making church. And I'm telling you, uh, you at first they said, well, man, that means none of us would be around this table. I said, exactly. So we have to walk this stuff out. I'm okay with us not being there today, but I'm not okay with us not being there in a year. And so that started a number of years ago. And so we had to start make, but I had to hold the line and I had to make sure I was calling that them up to that. And part of, as I shared before, part of the disconnect was I started to, to not spend as much focused, intentional time with them. I started putting it elsewhere. And guess what? That started to leak, right? And so now I've had to get back and making sure that I'm focused there as well as holding our team accountable. But those are a few things. And you don't know this, but Bob didn't just come back from the conference and go, all of you guys who aren't elders aren't going to be an elder right. if you're not in a group. There's a whole bunch of steps that we can't really explain. He did a whole bunch of really intentional, brilliant things to get to the place where they agreed before he made that, cup, that statement, this is what we need to be doing, this is biblical. So they had kind of come to a mutual agreement on that. So there's some, you'd have to ask him his story, he can't explain it, but I just... I know that part of the story. Secondly, I would say this. Churches uh, do not split from the bottom up. They split from the top down. So if you're spending your time with your people and not your staff, you got a problem. If you're spending time with your staff and not your elders, you got a problem. So you got to delegate that time correctly because it, always where there is a lack of relationship, you better make sure it's not in the most important places because the devil fills in the gap. The, the, the devil doesn't beat the church from without, he beats it from within. If he can get him fighting in the huddle, he wins at the line of scrimmage. Okay, that's a football term. But, but let me just say this also. It, it starts with you putting down your fear. It starts with saying, here's what I expect. Uh, guys, I, I know I'm the leader, and sometimes I have to play the boss card. But that's not where I want to live. I'd rather vacation there. 
we're brothers here. We can help each other. We can do life together. And there's going to be some times when I have to be, you know, okay, I've heard you, but this is what we're doing. But in this area of your life, if you always have to be in charge and you're afraid of giving people authority and you're doing that, well, then don't expect your people to not feel that fear and live in that fear and live in pride. As the head goes, the body falls. You have to start a new culture. And so it, it, it's messy, but it starts with you leading that way in your groups and giving people permission. You get to, I will respect you. Even if I disagree with you, when you come and tell me what your thoughts are, I'll have people come and say, okay, I hear you. I want you to know that I, I, I got to think about this. I don't know that I agree with you. Or I'll say, I, I absolutely disagree with you. But do you know how proud I am of you for walking in here and telling me what you just told me? I know I can trust you because you came in here and you didn't come out there. And then I'm going to say, you know what? One of the guys came to me and we were trying to work out the details of it. But in the staff, 100 staff, I want you to know that this person right here just proved to me that they're trustworthy because they came to me and looked me right in my eyes and told me they disagreed. Let's give them a hand. What you celebrate, people aspire to. And they did it, they did it with Respect and honor. They didn't push flesh buttons in me. And I'm just so thankful we have a culture where we talk to each other, we submit to one another, we work through things. And I'm not pulling the CEO, I'm always right card here. You know, I've said this to the guys not long ago. Our guys, Brandon's done this to me several times. He'll say, you know, Jim, I remember one time I, I was using the word I too much. I think this, I think that. And he said, Jim... When you say I, 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 you're not saying we, we, we. It says you and not team. Remember? And I'm like, whoa. Okay. And I had to think about that. Was this becoming too much about me? And I was so grateful for his friendship. Do you understand what I'm saying? The guys around you are there to be guardrails and to protect you from yourself. You know, it's good. You guys have some great questions. That's the reason we started the network, is churches have had a lot of questions. And so the network, here's how it works. This isn't like an invitation to join the network. What I'm saying is that this is why we formed the network. And Bob leads a micro network. Brandon leads a micro what network. Is a micro? And Jim leads a micro network. What that is, is Bob is going to invest in three or four churches. Bob is a senior pastor willing to invest in three or four churches. So a micro network is where these questions get asked. So it's a senior pastor kind of, it's for senior pastors uh, working with Bob as Bob's the coach or Brandon's coach or Jim's the coach, working through these questions. Now that senior pastor that's joining into this group can add another person on that call. And that call will go three to four hours. And they work through all this, these questions. And so when we started doing these trainings, the disciple shifts you see on there, when people go through that two-day training, they go, okay, what's next? We, we have these questions. We want, we want to take the next step. Will you help us? So what we did is we went to the churches that we worked with that are real passionate about walking this out. And we said, if you're willing to walk this out and keep walking it out, would you be willing to give back and coach some churches? We'll keep it small, three or four. We're not trying to grow a massive network. And so they said, yes, we would do that. So right now, we have churches in our network that are willing to coach other churches. 
And so I mentioned that to you, so you know there is a next step. Your next step would start with going to a DS1. If you're interested, the DS1 is two days of live, this is us talking to you, this now the DS1 is two days of live interaction where we actually walk this out. And so I want to ask this question. Is there anybody here that's been to a DS1 already? They can raise your hand. Okay, now I, have a, I don't know who's going to raise your hand. Would you be willing to share what it was like so these guys would get an idea in like a one-minute blurb of what you experienced, good and bad? Steve. Go ahead. Yeah. Here. Come up here. I just will give you an idea. If you're interested in taking a next step, and you see on the back of the, your booklet, there's different locations. I'd love you to share what you experienced. I don't know if you're going to say so. It was really awful. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Make sure to check out the free ebook, Stay the Course, at discipleship.org slash rdn. You'll find dozens of other great free discipleship resources on our site as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.